Thank you. Well, great singing. It's always nice being up the front and hearing it all. Um, I just want to echo Duan's um, message at the start. As youth leaders, um, we're extremely grateful. We appreciate and we um, are so encouraged by all of the youth uh, serving in different roles tonight um, in various ways using their gifts. Um, we are so grateful and, thank you, and we thank you. Um, well, um, I'm going to pray and then we will uh, read... Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here safely tonight. Lord, as we come before your word, um, we pray that um, and we thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, in it we can put our hope. So Lord, please use me um, in my weakness for your glory, uh, that we might be challenged and encouraged and built up. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. All right, um, so our passage tonight is from Luke chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 41 through to the end of the chapter, which is 52. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Uh, the boy Jesus in the temple. Now his parents, that's Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast. Of, Passover, of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be with the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. I want you all to think for a minute. Think back to when you were 12 years of age. For some of you, this might be quite easy. Some of you here tonight uh, probably are 12. And for others of us uh, who are a bit older, it might be a little harder. And yet I'm sure that we can all agree that being this age, well, it isn't and it wasn't always easy. It's a difficult time in anyone's life. In fact, in recent years, because of this, the term 12 has emerged. You may know this term, but it's a term given to children around the ages of 12 who try extra hard to act up, to be cool, and to act as though they're older than they really are. As a result, probably no, but 12 are quite immature. To be fair, at this age, we are all trying to discover who we are. 
we are becoming more independent, we are taking on more and more responsibility. Well, for those in Israel about 2,000 years ago, this period in one's life was very important. In fact, for boys, the age of 13 was the year in which they were considered accountable. It was the year in which they became men. But why am I talking about this? Well, tonight, as we just read, we are looking at Luke's account of Jesus at the temple. This is the only account of this story in any of the Gospels, and it's the only glimpse we get in any of the Gospels at Jesus' life as an adolescent. So let's recap. As we read, Mary, Joseph and Jesus, who's 12 years old at this stage, are heading to Jerusalem from their hometown of Nazareth for the Feast of Passover. This was a three-day journey, and it was undertaken in large groups for everyone's safety. Uh, As one of the three annual feasts in Jerusalem, this was a big deal. After what was likely an eventful and probably tiring seven-day celebration, the family begin their journey home. However, they soon realise that Jesus is not with the group. Luke tells us that it takes Mary and Joseph three days to find him. Presumably, one day returning home with the group, one day to return back to Jerusalem, and then one day searching for him to find him in the temple. The anxiety with uh, with losing a child for three days is something I'm sure no one wants to experience. Imagine how a mother would feel having lost her son for three whole days. Yet tonight I want to focus on where they find Jesus, on what he was doing, and his response to his stressed out parents. And so the message tonight is broken down into three points. Namely, Jesus, the perfect student, Jesus, the perfect son, and Jesus' perfect mission. So, let's firstly look at Jesus, the perfect student. If you have your Bibles in front of you, have a look at verse 46. Mary and Joseph have finally located Jesus in the temple courts. And he's sitting and discussing with the teachers of the law. In fact, Jesus had remained in the temple courts ever since Passover had concluded. In his mind, it was where he ought to be, which is why he responds to his mother in the way that he does. If you look at verse 49, he says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? In what would become a regular occurrence for Jesus, he responds to a question with a question of his own. Even at 12 years of age, Jesus is astute and he directs the conversation in a direction, in the direction that it ought to be in. Now, there is no disrespect in his questioning, but rather genuine bemusement as to why his parents would assume that he would be anywhere else. Jesus knows exactly where he needed to be. And although in his human nature, his mind is still developing, we see a deep understanding of his calling and personal duty, even at this age. He knows he ought to seek and understand his Father in heaven more and more. 
also in verse 49, we see that the response of Jesus directly contrasts that of Mary's question in the, vice, in the verse prior. Mary asks, why have you treated us, your, his father and mother, like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus responds, don't you know I had to be in my father's house? He knows his greatest priority is to God. We must keep in mind that Jesus isn't intentionally trying to cause his parents to panic. Remember, he is sinless. No, on the contrary, he understands that there is no better opportunity than to learn in Jerusalem. He is the perfect student. Now, let us not forget who Jesus is talking to here as he sits in the temple courts. He's not just talking to anyone. He's talking to some of the most learned, experienced and knowledgeable men in all of Israel. The teachers of the law would have had an extensive knowledge of scripture. Their education and understanding would have far surpassed all but anyone in the entire country, let alone 12-year-old boys. Yet, we know that this is no ordinary 12-year-old. We see in verse 46 that being a perfect student takes more than just knowing all the answers to all of the questions. Jesus is first and foremost listening. He's absorbing every single word these men had to say. Every verse they were quoting. Every part of scripture. As the son of God, we must remember that Jesus would have been taking this all in without the distractions that we so often face when we're listening or trying to listen to our teachers. Having listened to them, we see that then Jesus asks questions. And yet, even in his questioning, it's clear to all who are there that his level of understanding was like nothing that they had ever seen before. This was a child who was fully immersed in and committed to learning about the Lord and his word. I want you to think for a moment about someone you truly love and how hard it can be when you're not with them. Maybe they've moved away for a short time or, or for a long time. Or maybe they're no longer with us. We long to hear their voice, don't we? We long to be with them, to ask them for advice, or to just simply spend time in their presence. Friends, Jesus wanted nothing more than to hear the voice of his Father in heaven. He longed to spend time listening to his word, discussing it and hearing from him. Do we long for this too? Has spending time in prayer, in reading God's word, has it become a chore? Maybe you're simply just too busy to pick up the Bible. It's so easy, I think, for all of us to forget the power the word of God has especially when there are so many distractions around us. 
we are quick, or at least I know I am, to forget what Paul says to Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man and woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The youth were reminded, as well as the leaders, only last Friday that this is no ordinary book. It's the very word of God, and he uses it to speak to us. I think it's easy for us to get the, forget that that's amazing. Immersing ourselves in God's word changes the way we understand the world around us. It brings us great joy and great comfort. And it's so important to our daily walk with Christ, who is the perfect son. Verse 50 tells us that Jesus' parents don't understand his response to them. As much as they would have known and experienced in the months before his birth, as we'll look over the next few weeks, as well as the 12 years since that time, it's clear that both Mary and Joseph do not yet fully understand or cannot fully comprehend Christ's call, his mission, and his purpose. And yet we see next that Jesus doesn't push his case any further. He doesn't dig in his heels, he doesn't have a temper tantrum, he doesn't argue or make a scene. But rather, he submits to their authority and he makes the three-day journey back with them. Jesus' obedience to his parents in this story cannot be overlooked. We see here the perfect example of human submission to authority. As a result, Mary treasures these events in her heart. This is something that she'd already done prior in the book of Luke in chapter 2. Though she does not fully understand it at the time, these events are never forgotten by her. And so she recalls them to Luke as he interviews her in writing his gospel. As he grows, Jesus' understanding of the duty in his life is becoming clearer. He is the example of a law keeper. In this case, he's upholding the fifth commandment, isn't he? He's honouring his father and mother. All the while, he's maintaining his clear love and desire to love and know the Lord God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and all his strength. Upon reading this, we should be greatly challenged. As we reflect, we recognise that we fail to bring God glory through our obedience to his commands. How quick we are to forget his calling on our lives. Revelation 14.12 reminds us that as the people of God, we are called to be patient in endurance, even in the face of suffering, to keep the commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Jesus says so much in John 14.15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. This includes submission to, to authority. Like Christ in this passage, we are to honour our parents. A command which Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 is the first commandment with a promise. Namely, that good would come from it. 
Another one, Romans 13, tells us to submit to governing authority. Why? Because there is no authority other than that which God has established. Thirdly, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the church. He enforces that the congregation obey their leaders, submitting to their authority. Why? Well, so that the work that they do might be a joy and not a burden. Friends, let us not forget that we ought to submit and obey to authority. Not because it brings salvation, not because, not only because it's a command from God, but also because it bears fruit. So, do we? How often do we obey and, and even listen to those in charge? Especially if it goes against our own personal wants and desires. Jesus, as the Son of God, had every right to be learning in the temple. Yet, once he was instructed by his parents, he obeyed them. So, how do we respond to authority? By no means do we, I just want to add, submit to authority if it's calling or causing us to stumble or sin. However, I want to say this to the youth, to the kids here tonight as well. How do you, how do we respond to our parents? Do we show them respect? Do we listen to what they have to say? Maybe you feel that they don't understand you. I know that it can be really, really hard sometimes. However, I want to encourage you and challenge you tonight to look to Jesus. He sets the example for obedience. Even when it's hard, his example challenges us all to submit and to be respectful. So, we've looked at the perfect student. We've looked at perfect son and how Jesus fulfills both of these. Now let's look at Jesus' perfect mission. Well, the narrative concludes in verse 51 with Jesus returning to Nazareth, his home, with his parents. Yet Luke adds verse 52. He says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Interestingly, these words are almost identical to those of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. In that passage, the godliness of Samuel, a man who would grow to be a good leader, judge and prophet in Israel, is contrasted with the wickedness and judgment of the sons of Eli. And though these verses are similar, we know that one far greater than Samuel has now arrived. If we look at verse 52, you'll see that it touches on both the human and divine nature of Christ. Not only is Jesus growing in his stature and his favour with man, but he's also perfectly growing in his wisdom and favour with God. The remainder of Luke's gospel highlights the mission and calling of Christ. With each passing year, Jesus' depth of understanding would continue to grow and develop. Friends, Jesus did not stay a boy. He was not just a perfect student. 
He was not just the perfect son to his parents. He wasn't even to become just a faithful judge and prophet like Samuel. Jesus would soon grow, preaching about the kingdom of God, healing the sick, perfectly obeying the law. He would amaze many more than just a handful of people at the temple. His understanding would, uh, his understanding would continue to astonish. Yet now he would teach with authority. In all of this time, Jesus' obedience to his father never wavered. Nor did his desire to know and fulfill the scriptures. Luke chapter 4 um, recounts the temptation of Jesus when Jesus, starving and exhausted in the desert, is tempted by Satan. How does Jesus respond here? Well, he quotes scripture, doesn't he? He refutes and breaks down every offer and question posed by the devil. By doing so, Christ is standing firm in perfect obedience in the face of temptation. What an example this sets for us when we are tempted too. He is the perfect man, the one, uh, one that we could never ourselves. And yet the obedience to God by Christ is seen ever so clearly in Luke 22, which was read earlier. As Jesus kneels in the garden, he prays. By now he is fully aware of his mission. He pleads, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In this moment, Christ would have been feeling an anguish that we could never know. In fact, Luke tells us that as he prays, Jesus is in such extreme stress and anguish that his profuse sweating causes him to bleed. Despite all of this, Jesus continues to pray to his Father. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He is fully aware of what had to be done in order to fulfill scripture. He was the son of God. He is the son of God. Terrified, yet willing to die. Taking upon our sin that we might live. And so, roughly 20 years from this event, 20 years from this journey into the city of Jerusalem, for Passover, Jesus himself would be walking, or more accurately, probably staggering, out of the city, bearing the scars, the cuts, the bruises of a disgraced criminal, carrying a cross, all the while knowing he was to be our Passover lamb. I want you to imagine for a second, as the Son of God hung on that tree, rejected, alone, undignified. He looked out and saw faces in the crowd. Faces of men that once sat amazed at his understanding and knowledge, now spitting, scorning, scoffing at him, rejoicing in his agony. 
Let us not forget, we too were once just like them. As Jesus takes his last breath on that cross, he achieves the perfect mission. The very Son of God, born of a woman, born under the law, to achieve what? To redeem those who are under the law, us. Why? That we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. You see, through our passage tonight, as well as the entirety of Jesus' life, we see his active obedience. He so perfectly fulfilled the law in true obedience and submission to his Father. A life that we could never live. We must not forget, friends, that our salvation requires two things to be addressed. We not only require a substitute to take our place, paying for our sin, but we also require this sacrifice to be perfect, obeying and fulfilling the law. Christ does this. And in doing so, fulfills the words of Jeremiah. The Lord himself will be our righteousness. And so, the question then tonight for those of you here who do not know Christ as your Lord and Saviour is this. If right this minute you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Would you try and bargain with him? Maybe you'd list all the good things you've done. Maybe you're not even that bad of a person. Yet, when we all truly reflect upon our lives, we know that we all fail to keep God's law. Neither you nor I have any hope of being perfect by our own strength. We have no hope of, of securing salvation by our own works. That's a scary thought. However, there is still hope. 1 John tells us that if we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How can we possibly be forgiven and purified? Well, it's only through the precious blood of Christ, who, unlike us, perfectly submitted and lived the perfect, imperfect obedience to the Father, dying that we might live. May we rest in this glorious truth. May we rest, may you rest, in the light of his grace. For those of us here tonight who do know Christ as Lord and Saviour, let us not lose sight of our calling. Let us not grow weary of doing good. But instead, may we fix our eyes on Christ in all that we do. May obedience to our Lord not be a burden, but rather a joy. Friends, Jesus committed every second to perfect obedience to his Father in heaven while on earth. Even going to the cross for us. Yet more than this, he rose again and he reigns at the Father's right hand in glory. 
He has achieved his mission of salvation from start to finish, and he is coming again. He was indeed the perfect student. He is indeed the perfect son. And he is Lord of all the earth. As we wait for him, he calls us to trust and obey. Why? Well, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. We find true joy in Jesus, the one who lived a life we never could, who died, who rose again, and is coming soon. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and rejoice knowing that you have sent your Son who lived the perfect life, who died an innocent death and has rose in glory that we now might be seen as purified and just only by his blood. Please help us in all our ways to seek you above all else, giving thanks to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.